Let's keep growing. In the opening of the letter of Colossians, the Apostle Paul gushes about the gospel message that God loves us enough to send his own son to die for our sins and that that message is alive and growing all over the world in people's hearts. That's one of the joyful purposes of this podcast, that you might listen and hear the good news of God and grow from the inside out. Thanks for listening and continue to tune in. Tell others about these podcasts, share an episode with a friend, and let's keep growing. Good day, everybody. This is Pastor Daniel Bondo at Grace Lutheran Church with the podcast, This Is uh, Most Certainly True. And we have another uh, special episode. I think they're all special, but we got a special episode today as I have the uh, privilege of interviewing guest uh, Professor Mark Pauschen from Martin Luther College all the way in New Ulm, Minnesota. Professor, are you there? I am here, and the privilege is mine, Daniel. Ha-ha! How are you today? I'm, I'm just fine. I mean, this is my tired time of the week, you know, after Friday classes, but uh, it's a good tired. Ooh, yeah, it'll be like table talk with Martin Luther. We just kind of kick back and let it fly. There you go. This is also fun for me because of the history. You were, of course, at Martin Luther College in some of my time there. I think I was involved in one of your earlier public speaking classes and uh, really enjoyed that and enjoyed an interpersonal communication course. So those memories kind of flood to the mind. And I also have relatives who were coached by you, Coach Paustian, the cross country, you know, like the, the, so there are twin Bormans in my class. Um, Timothy and Jonathan Borman were on your cross country team back in, in the day. That was the team I always say my grandmother could have coached. It was the first team I inherited and they were fast. Oh boy. They were stallions. So yeah, I retired recently. Oh yeah. Old to, <laughs> keep up with the boys but, but uh, your wife Anna was uh, probably the most talented or among the very most talented runners I've, I've ever coached so that's yeah, good memories that's cool she inspires me to this day that's for sure I don't know how she does it but oh it's fun fun and, things and by the way I'm sorry by, to interrupt you by the way you were I believe in the first class I ever stepped into Ooh, at Martin Luther College that, and it was it was such a I, I'm seriously it was such a high-powered class, it kind of, I don't know, spoiled me or set up the wrong expectation for the rest of my teaching. That was an amazing, amazing experience. Oh, what a blast. You just, you can't, you know, be grateful enough to the Lord for such awesome experiences to think back on. I also, yeah, as a as a preliminary, I also had a really nice summer quarter uh, class with you last, like a year and a half ago. I want to go back um, often and retake that. It was a, um, <laughs> I'm going to botch the title of it. It was like adult education is communication. Does that sound right? That's exactly right. And all of the communication theory and 
um, expertise, the kind of the things that you have studied and learned and brought into an adult education environment, that was just great to kind of rub all those things together and think about uh, what it is for us to be together around Scripture and to talk it out loud and um, doing different things for the sake of outcome, different tasks and different outcomes and how how do you push the needle? I don't. You can tell I'm already excited about thinking thinking back to those. Oh, that, that really was a mountaintop experience for me too. And and the other thing, so much has to do with the providential group of men. You know, that mm-hmm. was guys that were ready to be transparent, you know, that was one of our educational principles, just the power of transparency. And I just, I agree, I thought we achieved something that that was, was all God, it was all Jesus uh, putting his blessing on what we were doing, but I, yeah, I was just as thrilled by it. That's neat. I, I, of course, feel like you set up that class in a way that um, that pushed us and got us talking and this uh, growth sort of happened. And I, I think I want to bring that up, Professor, because the, I think, and I want to, I want you to take over at some point, but I think that some of this prepared to answer material, you know, comes out of the same, the same goal of having, having people engage in conversations and, and kind of be pushed to share stories and be transparent and taking all things to the only place that that kind of can uh, allow us to be transparent and with Jesus. And can you tell me a little bit about, so, um, well, let me let me back up and then I'm going to come back to where we just were, okay? <laughs> the, the, the idea is that our, our congregation at Grace is going to use the books prepared to answer, the, especially the, the first volume for now, in as the basis of Bible class and spiritual growth um, over the course of the next several weeks. And that's going to include Bible class and this podcast uh, as we take some aha moments and further conversations into the podcast. Um, and it's also just reading through the reading through the book and reacting to it. And so as we do that, um, you know, you you introduce the book in your own way as the reason for story. And I would like love to hear, you know, how you would phrase it, like the how the idea for such a book originated or other stories that are connected to that. Sure, I I think the second book in the preface it kind of tells some of the story, but. Uh, so I was a pastor of a small mission congregation, and mm-hmm. we were just studying gospel stories in Bible study, really just loving it. And I'm not sure where this idea came from. I don't think it was mine. Hmm. Um, I'm sure it wasn't mine. But we would carve out 15 minutes or so at the end of every, just study the story for its own sake. And we would ask a set of questions like, who needs to hear this story? Or what is the question for which this story is the answer? And then we would tease out, law and gospel that were kind of organic to the story, and then we would say, well, how would you tell it? Hmm. And sometimes we role-played it, sometimes we didn't, but while this was all going on, we've been doing this for about two years, and I just didn't want to do anything else. It was so much fun. <laughs> and meanwhile, on my bucket list was, was a, I thought I might like to write a book someday. It was just <laughs> an itch I thought I might kind of want to scratch someday. I did nothing else about that, but then in the midst of all this, a phone call came from the publishing house, and I was asked to write the book. Wow. And so it became two books because my my reaction was just this idea of story. If I could start every 
they wanted me to answer 60 questions or so, and, and I thought if I could just start every answer with something from the Gospels, typically. And that's how one book became two, because it sort of added some length to it. And so that's kind of a kind of a background for it. Wow. As you, I, yeah, yeah, I really appreciate that. It, do you think that's one of your, like, almost like a text study question you might have operated with, too, is saying, you know, okay, Lord, you've given this story, you've said these words in in the gospel, and, you know, what, what hole are you filling, in, and for whom? Is it, do you think that was a part of that, too? Or? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you ask that question week by week, there were just some really powerful things that would happen. You know, mm-hmm. even if we're role-playing, I think this story might be in, in the book too, but even if we're role-playing the woman caught in adultery, just to role-play that moment where he says, neither, neither do I condemn you, and the person across from you just falls apart in tears because it's just so powerful. And mm-hmm. and that kind of is a piece of an argument, um, kind of a many-layered argument for what makes sense about having our answer be driven by biblical narrative. There's just a lot there. You know, for example, people finding out that they are more equipped than they thought they were when they realize that these gospel stories that they love can can be a large part of how they answer. And so sort of watching the lights go on week by week was just really exciting as people might now and then say, hey, Pastor, before we start today, can I tell what happened at work this week? And it would just be an example of responding with a story. Wow. So after a while, we would, every five or six weeks we would kind of pause and we would just have an hour be a free-for-all. Tell me what your witnessing situations are. What, what have you heard? And what has somebody said to you? And then we asked the class, okay, what would you say? That is to say, what story would you tell? And kind of, again, watching the lights go on as people began to learn how to make that marriage, you know? Mm. Um, I remember one was the question, someone said, someone had been told, well, this is this is just not my culture, you know. Christianity is a different culture, so it doesn't fit mine. And and so, a story would you tell? They would say that's exactly what Christianity is not limited to one culture, hmm. you know. And it's Jesus with the centurion, and the punchline is many will come from east and west and sit down at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, this transcends culture like nothing else ever has. And so, but so that was a even that question was a really exciting question. What are the challenges you're hearing right now today, and then what story would you tell? And if I learned anything in the course of writing the book, it was just that there was never not a story, you know? There was never not something. Sometimes it maybe isn't the most obvious story you might think of, but yeah, just tons of fun. It was just tons of fun. And then to have this question come from the publishing house was just providential. That is so cool. You you made a you said something like um, people learning learning the marriage between something that someone's struggling with and a story from the gospels. Did you gain a right. sense through that class and and afterwards that I mean you phrased that for a reason? So you must have had some sense that people really were developing a skill. Can I say it that way? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think you know there are certainly some people that are sort of natural-born storytellers, and their eyes light up immediately at the concept. You know, for others, it might not be quite as easy connection to make, but, you know, I just, I, I think about getting to know people and how our own stories are such a part of that. Mm-hmm. You know, we exchange stories, and their stories are, someone has called them, an exchange of friendship, mm. as we tell how we 
married or met our wife or whatever it might be. And and I'm going to keep your story right here. I'm telling you my chest right now. And you're going to mm-hmm. keep my story. Mm-hmm. And we're becoming friends this way. And something about putting the gospel narratives, those I love the most. I think my favorite for this purpose probably is the woman caught in adultery. That's the one I turn to the most often. Mm. It's sort of having them in the same box as I keep my own memories in. Sort of the same, where do you draw your richest conversation material from? Just mm. kind of put those together in that way. And, and so it's just like in the same naturalness in which you, as you get to know me, you're going to hear certain stories from me. You know, again, how I met my wife. Mm-hmm. You get to know me, you're going to hear the story of the woman, woman caught in adultery. It's just at some point it's going to be, hey, have you heard this story? Mm. You know? Um, so what I'm speaking about now is trying to help others make the connection that is instantaneous for some. Others it might take more thought to, I don't know, just crawl inside the idea a little bit. And you gain And then again, discover that they really, they really have a wealth of witnessing material more than they even had realized. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, I I can I can sense how there are certain stories that you know they I guess they imp- they leave this mark they leave this impression and you you always feel like you can go back there and retell it from your own personal experience and sometimes these gospel stories when you spend that Bible study time or reflecting time together they have this life to them that and this mark that they can leave and and be present in a given moment. Right. And mm-hmm. so it, it it becomes true that really all of our reception of God's Word, listening to sermons and whatever it might be, now we can see all of that as part of continuing to equip us in the Spirit for these conversations as long as, you know, we're learning to make this, to live in that world. You know, we're learning to make these stories really where we live and what we inhabit in our own thinking. Mm-hmm. And it just gets more and more natural. I, <clears throat> so sometimes I think, I think about it this way. I think that... Uh, You'll sometimes hear that since people we're talking to do not respect the authority of the Bible, therefore the Bible can't be prominent in our answer. Or, you know, it's true to say we can't count on that respect. But at the same time, I think that I know that the Bible itself is is entangling. Mm-hmm. It's just an entangling book. And I, I haven't totally worked this out, but I'd like to work out a notion of how we would how it sounds in conversation to turn the conversation and take it into the scriptures and, and not just a proof text, you know, not just this or that verse, but to take them into the gospels, like say Luke 15, this whole section on Jesus' love for those that he's lost and spend time there and kind of in that territory. So mm-hmm. I, I think that the books are kind of a partial part way there saying the first answer, the best part of your answer is that found within the richness of the biblical story. Mm. And you're not going to do any better, frankly. You're not going to do any better, really. But you know what I mean? So not worrying about the question of, okay, this person right now does not respect the authority of Scripture, but they still can be captivated by it. Mm-hmm. And that's what you want, right? You, yeah. you want the Word of God to be right through a person's mind for the Spirit to do the things only He can ever do. Yeah, I so, think... Uh, some of the language you use, I think this is again in the preface of the second book, where you are unapologetic about this is my source, this is this is the story that is the story, and you you talk about. Um, I hope this is related. You talk about 
how some of the things that we sort of by nature crave or want or respect or the way that we think you touch on some of the core and the common but but also there is there is a the answer there is an answer that is Jesus at the end at the end of it all that you want to get back to and just tell it and, and they'll get the who out not just the what of Christianity that somebody has to deal with absolutely at the it triggers for me, you know, one of our church fathers going way back, a uh, somewhat controversial figure, J.P. Taylor, um, he has a phrase he uses when it comes to discussing doctrine, or let's say how to avoid arguing doctrine with mm-hmm. people in a sense sort of legalistic and harsh. And, and what he says is simply that that discussion needs to be another form of bringing good news. So the reason to discuss baptism, the reason to discuss conversion, whatever the controversy is, it ought to be because of the good news that we are just hungry to to speak and and impart to somebody. And I, I use that phrase also then with apologetics. That try I try to model in the books that we want to get everything to Jesus. We want to find the natural path from whatever the conversation begins begins with wherever the presenting topic is or question. We want to find that path to have every single answer really be about Christ and Him crucified, Christ raised from the dead. And so, yeah, it's, I think it's really important um, to say that obvious, it's a pretty obvious thing to say, but to say that obvious thing about how we are handling people's questions. Mm-hmm. We take them seriously. We, be, we begin with the question, but we don't get too bogged down in the weeds of <laughs> argument and evidence. We are really trying to find our way toward toward Christ, to whom for whom we want to be witnesses. Right? We're just going to witness yeah. what we know, what we've seen. Yeah, we have these. Um, are you still there? I'm here. Okay, good. We've got these historical aspects of the life of Jesus, and as we look at the maybe the outline or the contents of the book. Um, is that something that you used as a as a template and a flow just because it it makes sense in the way we go through Sunday school and the way that we go through you know the the life of Christ to kind of pattern a book after the life story of Jesus himself is you know what are there any other thoughts that you had when coming up with an outline or the value of using that outline yeah, you know, my editor, when they heard the idea that I was going to have the stories in each book go chronological, so we'll start either with the prophets in, in one case, or we'll start with incarnation, uh, something mm. around Christmas or coming of Christ, and we would go through his life, through maybe baptism and his words and deeds, and through up to the cross and Easter and so on. Somehow they thought that was a difficult idea that they wondered how it, I would ever pull that off, but it ended up being just pretty simple. Just whatever stories I happen to use, I just put them in chronological order. And um, But I, it did kind of make sense that there is, you know, the very thing a postmodern person denies, that there is a meta-narrative. There actually is a story of all the stories that really explains life and the universe and reality. It's a story of the world made good, and it becomes a tragic ruin, and so God promises to send a Savior. And on, on until we're in in the garden again at the end of time. So the, hmm. there is a narrative, there is a story, and it's a 
coherent story. Mm-hmm. And so I think in, in some sense, yeah, I don't know if I'm answering your question well, but in some sense, it just made sense to me that we would have a have something chronological mm-hmm. in the stories. Well, the topics really come almost randomly as far as their order. It's really all driven by, by well, just the same as the church here, driven by um, participating in the life of Christ from beginning to end mm-hmm. over and over in church. Yeah. It highlights now, one difference between, between the two books. The one difference is that um, the second book are all the harder ones. In, in other words, the first book happened to be the chapters that needed very little editing. They just kind of wrote easily and not much had to be done. And so I submit that book. And then the second book is all those chapters that gave me fits and I had to write four and five and six times and so on. So it's a difference between the books. No one else would guess that or, or realize, but that is the difference. Huh. As you, ref- is there, as you reflect on that, was there... I don't know, would you say there's a reason for the challenge? Are there harder sayings of Jesus? Or, you know, what was it? The harder questions. Maybe somewhat harder questions. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the science chapter, I wrote about seven times. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, it was really painful. I think the homosexuality chapter is, is in that category, too. And I'm still mm-hmm. not exactly happy with that one. <laughs> um, but I think that's, yeah, I think it was just the harder questions that ended up um, in the green volume, yeah. Wow. It shows the relevance of um, both from the way that this organically kind of developed with your Bible class and the way that people were to tie this to, like, you know, who who needs to hear this story, who benefits from hearing this story. It emphasizes the, the relevance that all of these titles have for readers. And I'm wondering, you know, what are some of the maybe you've got some interesting stories or, or whatever of uh, reactions from people who have been through the book and the way that they've used, you know, thoughts or their reactions that they've shared with you. Oh yeah. You know, sort of the ideal audience, you're thinking of the unbeliever, the skeptic, but really who's going to read it typically is going to be believers and members of our church body, which is great. So, what I said to myself as constantly as I wrote is, I'm writing this for my kids. <laughs> if mm. nothing else comes of it, which mm. I really had doubts if anything else could ever come from it. <laughs> but my kids will have a record of why their dad believes in Jesus. They're going to have his answer to that question. And, and one of my daughters just actually finally picked it up. <laughs> she said, Dad, I just started reading your book, and I, and I love it. So <laughs> wow. well, it's about time. So, so anyway, that truly was what kept me going. Um, it's a lonely thing, you know, to write, as you know well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there have been, over the years, there have been, you know, some literally tear-stained letters, which just, you know, fill your heart with joy. People that write about being converted as they read. And um, not a lot of those. I think what happens more often is I get, uh, I got an email very recently from someone who was just very generous and appreciative of the chapter on how do I know I'm a Christian. But then he wrote to me because... He still had that question, you know, mm. in, in spite of the partial answer in the book. And so mm. we had a really, really enjoyable correspondence of that very question. And so that's happened more often than not. People will engage with the content, and it really is because they want to go a little further sometimes. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's, it's 
it's neat to see that happen. It's kind of the spice of life is you never know what sort of response or feedback you're going to get on what you're pouring your heart and soul into. Um, that's your comment about the kids is, is beautiful. You know, leaving an answer, leaving an answer for your children in the next generation. It's one of the joys of, I guess, putting something on paper in the end. And, and uh, wow, I'm glad you shared that. I read the... I don't know if I read both of them right away, but I I believe it was two. It must have been fresh off the press, kind of a thing. Like two thousand four. I remember going on a trip to somebody's wedding, um, in Michigan. Um, and on that road trip, I was in a back seat and had this new book in my hands, and um, I could just read and pause and stare out the window and read and pause and stare out the window. And it's it to this day, it's one of the best road trips of my life. <laughs> Oh, I sure appreciate that. I mean, you're right. You do a lot of work before it. there's any feedback at all. You know, you just got to really kind of commit to something. Mm-hmm. And then way down the road, you'll find out. So across the, my office, I'm looking at the cover of my book on my shelf in Russian, which is just cool. Oh, That's really? cool to think about. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the same cover, a little bit different, and it's got words I can't read. So, <laughs> How would you distinguish this book um, in people's hands as uh, distinct from other ones like it? I mean, when you got into the book, did you have a sense of like, well, there's some other books that, you know, try to help people be prepared and, and or do apologetics or something like uh, similar to that? Um, what what makes this one unique? Well, I think maybe... I don't know of another book that starts with narrative in every case the way I do, so that might mm-hmm. be a difference. I also think the way the book is pitched, it's not meant to be scholarly. You know, it's not meant to be really exhaustive in any question. It's meant to, as I was saying before, it's meant to sort of model something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's meant to model something about this conversation should be about good news, and, and it should be about Jesus. And... um so, you know, I really think that the only thing I didn't write about the book was the title. I didn't get to write the title and prepared to answer almost, obviously it's a wonderful phrase, it's from the Word of God, it's from Peter, mm-hmm. but it, it maybe almost promises too much. Mm-hmm. If, it, if just read this book and you will be prepared to answer any question, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that really isn't what I'm after. You know, mm-hmm. I think, for example, I, rem- I, rem- I remember one group they actually tried to memorize it. It was it was really something. They they copy, they photocopied and then what they write out on some words, and this was an aid for them to actually literally memorize the book. Wow! But that is just the last thing on my mind. <laughs> I, I think in, in, instead, if you would again get what I'm trying to model, but then maybe for every given question, just grab onto one thing that makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. I think that's what you do. Like. Uh, the Church of History is violent, it's done terrible things. And the answer you grab onto is just, well, you know, sure it did. <laughs> sure, of course it did. You're judging this truth by someone that abused it. And that, that isn't really fair, is it? I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think the atheist person wants to be judged by the 300 million people killed in the name of atheism. Right. That's not really fair either. So, so what I'm saying is that's a really pretty simple answer. And, mm-hmm. I would suggest a person grab onto something that makes sense to them. Don't try to repeat something that didn't actually 
isn't really yours. Mm-hmm. You know, you haven't fully really made it yours. Um, and and then what we've been, you hear people say based on a writer named Kuko is, we're just trying to put a stone in the shoe. You know, we're really trying to just say, yes, I, I've thought of this. This your, your objection doesn't surprise me. And I can still tell you why Christ is still true and why why that question doesn't erode my confidence. But but even if you memorize the book, you know, don't imagine that you could repeat that and that someone would then sort of surrender at your feet helpless, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People mm-hmm. will still have objections and they'll still have pushback. We're not trying to be comprehensive. We're not even trying to win arguments. We're just, yes, I've thought about that, you know, put a stone in the shoe, let send you on your way thinking, hmm, yeah. maybe my reason for holding Christ at arm's length, maybe it isn't as solid as I thought it was. And, hmm. But the real objective is that fresh hearing of the gospel. Mm-hmm. That's the real objective. Get the Bible open, deal with the question enough, softly enough, humbly enough, carefully enough, that we can then get to our true subject. Yeah. Does that make sense? So Yeah. Um I Yeah, so I lost track of your question, actually. <laughs> no, no, I think that's really, uh, that's been very helpful. There's sort of like three, I don't know if maybe there's more, but there's sort of like three aspects where, as, as, when I'm thinking about the model that you've laid out, I I love how you, you kind of just talked about the way you would move through um, dealing with somebody's struggle, putting a rock in the shoe, and then taking them, you want to get the story out. And the, the first thing I think you model as well, and maybe on the front end, is sometimes um, you're engaging somebody's opposition or question, and you say, I appreciate that struggle that you're having. In fact, the Bible appreciates it. And, and, and the question you have is often a question the Bible, you know, allows to come to the surface and deals and deals with. Um, there was one time yeah, where there, go, oh, go, you go. Oh, um, I'm trying to think of a. I was trying to think of an example. Oh, um, I, yeah, I was thinking of hypocrites in the church. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. you know that bothers Jesus even more than it bothers you. <laughs> there, yeah, there are there are <laughs> there are weeds in the wheat and there are bad fish in the fishnet with the good ones and. Oh. And yeah, he, he didn't care for that either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so is that going to be a reason for you to just deprive yourself of him forever? Really? Yeah. There was one where... So there are several examples like that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. There was one with um, there was some some lady who, you know, I don't I don't like your I don't like your Jesus or you had this line of thinking, you know, maybe. Maybe I don't like the Jesus you you think I believe in either. You know, tell me about the Jesus you think I have. Maybe I don't like him yeah. either. Um, yeah, and that's a stolen line too. I don't think. I hope I didn't plagiarize. No, I think terribly. you you did footnote yeah, something. Me, the line is, "Tell me about the God you don't believe in," because maybe I don't believe in him either. Mm. And so that is the God that enjoys the death of the wicked, and you know that kind of a thing. I don't believe yeah. in that God either. He does not exist. Yeah, and it's. So I think, you know, hopefully reading books like this, you can grab onto things like that that are sort of disarming and also true, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I like your word disarming there, because I think in that first that first couple of paragraphs, you do find, a, you know, a gentle way to sort of lead in, and yet you're never, you're never 
pulling all the punches, you're always going to get to a place where the full offense, so to speak, of Christ crucified is laid laid bare before someone right. in the end, but in a way that says, I'm, I hear you, I hear you, and, and this is where I might, you know, take a different angle in the fork. There's a fork in the road right. for me. Um before you get to Jesus, I pre- the modeling is there. It's and I think it's uh, one of the aspects I hope readers of the book, you know, if you're not okay, you don't memorize it word for word, but there are things that you can, I think, glean modeling, of course, chapter by chapter. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> any other um, any other goals as you think about you know putting this on paper for people to read? Um, are there other goals in addition that come to mind, or have we touched on them? Are, are you familiar with? Uh, I mentioned the name Kupo before. He's got a book called Tactics. Does mm-hmm. that ring a bell for you? Uh, it doesn't. Sorry. Okay. No, no, no. I wasn't trying to embarrass you. I didn't. Um, to answer your question and then to, to tell you why I refer to this particular author, um, there's an objective of helping the believer become more confident. You know, and it's, it's sort of as simple as that. Mm-hmm. We can gain some confidence. First of all, I mean, our, our own witness for Christ must come from a full heart. So if the book indirectly really is speaking to Christians, not just preparing them to witness, but speaking to Christians who have these same questions. I mean, the suffering of a child, this is not easy. The prospect of hell, this is not easy. Hmm. And so you want the reader to become confident themselves, that there is a reason, a very good reason, a compelling reason, to get to trust in the love of God yeah. for Jesus' sake, in spite of how hard the questions are. But then the corollary is then becoming more confident as well in their witness. And so this book by Kuko, I don't necessarily love his tone in every way. Like I've heard him speak on YouTube and stuff. But the book makes a contribution, and it's, it's called Tactics. And the premise of the book is that a person can, can do apologetics, so to speak, and answer questions without really knowing very much about the answers. Um, and so... He has, for example, the approach called the Columbo approach. Are you familiar with that reference? Columbo, no. the old TV show, yeah, with the, the rumpled um, inspector. Oh yeah, yeah. Who would, would always? Somebody would the witness would say, or the suspect would say this or that, and he would he would accept it and he would say, "There's something I don't understand about this." <laughs> and it, and the approach is when the skeptic says something, the you just ask the question, "What does that mean?" Oh, and what does that mean? So what, is, what does hypocrite mean? Hmm. Or there's no such thing as truth, but what do you mean by that? And, and then you get to the question eventually after asking, what do you mean enough times? How, did you, how have you come to think that? How have you come to think that's true? Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a method of staying, on the de- staying off the defensive. You're not really asserting anything. Um, you're just kind of probing. And so the example would be, one that comes to mind is, Oh, a person says, well, you know, there have been like 30 Gospels about the life of Christ, you know, about 30 of them. And, they, and the Council of whatever, <laughs> Nicaea, suppressed almost all of the four of them and said, these are the four that we want, and that's how we got the Bible. Mm-hmm. And, and let's say you as a Christian have never heard this before, nor, nor are you prepared to answer <laughs> um, the real 
story of the Gospels. I mean, there's just a ton of misinformation out there. <laughs> the story of the Gospels is incredible. It's incredibly compelling as yeah. far as their authenticity. So anyway, a person says that, and what she would simply say is, hmm, that's an interesting story. Why do you think that's true? <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, the other person will quickly realize they don't have any idea what they're talking about. <laughs> you know, it's so... And so, well, let me tell you the truth. Let me tell you about every single book quoted by the Father before 100 AD, for Pete's sake. And let me tell you how you can take his First Corinthians 15 all the way back to about six years from the actual event that it narrates. You know, let me, so I guess the point is I can begin, I can have the conversation without being fully loaded up on all these answers. There's a way to just kind of get up to the plate, so to speak. Hmm. But then as you read a book like these books and as you start to delve in and have the kind of Bible study you're promising to your congregation, you can gradually grow good answers. You can gradually grow, oh, I know what to say when you say there's no such thing as truth. I, I kind of start to know what that means, and I start to grow my ability gradually. But it's kind of it's kind of like saying, I don't have to wait till I'm some rock star genius apologist to to get up to the plate and have the conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, and it might be it might be that you ask these questions. So, what do you mean, and why do you think that's true? And and you've you've met someone that ha- actually is pretty smart and does have some education. Well, this is okay. Then you just say, okay, well, you thought about this more than I have. Let me go do my homework. So, no disaster that that would happen to you. Mm-hmm. But I, I really think we have. What I love about that concept is that we want to help cause people to get in the game. Mm-hmm. And, and not to endlessly prepare, but to get in the game. I heard a layperson say recently, I was doing a conference, and he said, well, I just here's what I do. He said, I just force myself when I meet someone new at some point to ask them, say, can I just ask you, do you believe in God? Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of come what, come what may, you know? Mm-hmm. And what's probably going to happen is they'll either say yes, and you'll have a great moment of connection with some Christian of some other kind, or they're going to say no, and what they're going to tell you is whatever is their favorite reason. And what you're going to find out after doing this often enough is that there's not a long and exhaustive list of the main things you hear. You're going to hear about hell. You're going to hear about pain. You hear about Christians being nasty, and mm-hmm. and you can really you can grow in your ability to handle what is a not exhaustive list of questions. But we've got to be in the game, you know. Yeah. And so, just strategies like I'm just going to ask questions. I'm just going to ask questions. What do you mean by that? Why do you think that's true? See, even that for me, mm-hmm. even for me, that takes out about 90% of the anxiety. Mm. It's just to think of an approach like that. Yeah. I can be defensive. I really don't need to. And it may be that when you find out this person doesn't really know what they're saying either, they're just repeating what they heard in college, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that maybe that's all I need to do sometimes to prepare the moment to just witness to my Savior, you know. Yeah, I really... Tell us whatever else it might be. Wow. I appreciate so much what you're saying. I think people today are scared all the more so about given conversations and reactions that that people are going to have. It um we had a member the uh, the other week that was telling me about how we've lost the uh the fun of recreational arguing. And I I thought that <laughs> I thought that was a good couple of words recreational arguing, you know. She said, it used to be fun to argue, and she said, recreational. <laughs> yeah, 
but um, but I I like how just just okay. get getting in there, even with somebody who maybe comes off a little hard, but spending some time with them, you know, they they, they you might gain a hearing, you might be able to tell a story, and um, you you speak a lot of good words that just uh, I I love the phrase get in the game it encourages us to. Um, even if we don't feel fully prepared to answer everything, to just just talk to, talk <laughs> exactly. to the people that we love, talk to the people that are around us. Yeah, because that's the last thing you want to come out of our you know church body, kind of our new interest in apologetics. You know, answering all these questions. The mm-hmm. last thing you want is that we would sort of raise up a handful of geniuses, mm-hmm. um, stand up on the stage and win the debate and we all walk away confident because our guy won the debate mm-hmm. you know not that we can repeat any of the arguments <laughs> not that we could do the same thing mm-hmm. it's just our guy won so we feel good and I, if, if that were to happen you know just think how that would discourage the voice of those who speak in a more in an apostolic way you know the apostles are not grounding the truth in their wonderful powers of reason they're not grounding the truth in themselves at all mm-hmm. You know, and if, if it's a weak thing to not be able to ground us all in philosophy and things like that, it's because it's supposed to be a weak thing so that the, the power of Christ can rest on our humble witness to mm. what we know about Jesus. And what it takes is not brilliance, it just takes courage and then the encouragement of our fellow brothers and sisters to, to speak God's word to people. And so that's what I love about asking, so can I just ask, do you believe in God? I, I take mm. courage, but... You know, then, you know, the conversation is going to happen now, and you're in it now. And come what may, God bless. God bless me, you know. Yeah. Doesn't it bring us a little bit full circle back to the story, too, that instead of some, like, memorized or mathematical, you know, this set of propositions that you just throw at someone um, as, as like, the book's correct answer or or something is to win, you, you get all this entanglement of the story. And uh, I think you've, you've said that well before, and the, the power of a narrative and if there's anything you want to add to that, I, I've always uh, appreciated uh, the way you've articulated how a story um, sort of disarms and and engages us in in the who uh, that's that's standing right there with us, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I love the fact that you know the story is just more of a, a witness it's more of this is just my story yeah I mean, there's nothing really to argue with when i just tell you this is a story that i love mm-hmm. <laughs> so sort of sharing the stories of the gospels in the same kind of mode as i share my own stories it's just someone has called stories and is an exchange of friendship it's story is one way that and the fancy term is social penetration it's just one way that we become important to other people we, we share our stories and mm. The thought of keeping the gospel stories in the same box in my head where I keep my own personal stories, just sort of keep them in the same spot in my head, you know, that then that story is an exchange of friendship. So just as if you get to know me, you're going to at some point hear how I met my wife, crazy thing, you know, Mm -hmm. get to know me, at some point you're going to hear about the woman caught in adultery. Yeah. It's just in the same naturalness. Yeah. And if I've never experienced that, with real people, I would be just kind of blowing smoke at you. But what I've discovered is it can, it actually can have that same quality. And I'm just telling you my favorite stories, like how I met my wife. <laughs> and then, 
You know, it's just yeah. in the same kind of, I don't know how to describe it, same kind of communication mode. It's in the same... Same box. Yeah, yeah. I like so, yeah, I think when a witness, and this maybe isn't true for everybody, but maybe there's a certain communication style that it just falls in really naturally. But when a person realizes to keep these gospel stories in the same box in my head, which wherever it is, I keep my own best personal stories and memories, then the lights go on. Oh my goodness, the lights go on then. Mm-hmm. You know? Wow. So, yes, so story is an exchange of friendship. And that's, I tell you my story, you tell me your story, and we're becoming friends. And just to get in that same sort of mode is really a powerful thing. We're not really arguing. We're, we're not arguing about truth. We're just talking about stories. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate talking about things that mean, that mean the world to us. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your um, work on this book and your time uh, in the podcast with me today. You have a podcast of your own, is that right? Yes, I do. As a matter of fact, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> um, I think. Yeah, I had a former student, and we were at a coffee shop one day and started talking and um, had such a great conversation. I think this is how most podcasts begin. We thought, oh, that should be a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have discovered um, a, sort of a mutual love for communication from a biblical point of view. So that's kind of what it's all about. It's called We're Two or Three, and it's all about... Um, bringing together Christian theology with communication theory and just kind of seeing how nicely those two things play together. Mm. So we've only, we've got five, five episodes out there. I think we've recorded eight so far. Um, so they're coming out at a leisurely pace. <laughs> it's just kind of a hobby. But uh, yeah, so huh. there, there's that. We're two or three, it's called. We're two or three. I, I'll have to give it a, a listen, and certainly anybody listening to this can can check that out and follow up. And uh, if you're a Grace member listening to this, it's a uh, it's a good day to get prepared to answer. The book uh, is is on our shelves at church. You could still pick up a copy, and we are starting this Sunday uh, with a, a Bible class chance to go through a number of the chapters together. So. With that, thank you so much, uh, Professor, for your time this afternoon. Not bad for a, a, a end to a week, right? <laughs> this has been tons of fun. I love connecting with you. So I sure appreciate it. Yeah, well, well, thanks again. Not only was it a delight and a joy, but we got to close up the tagline. This is most certainly true. Thank you very much. 